He is risen. I did not require the Texas version of that hymn to be sung today. George freely chose it. All right, so listen with me now as we come to think about the resurrection. I want you to know that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for those who are in Christ. That's why we meet on Sundays. That's why we worship the Lord, because every Sunday he is risen, but we join with the church through the long halls of history uh, in celebrating long before it was called Easter. We called it the uh, Festival of the Resurrection and the Festival of the Incarnation, celebrating both the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of Jesus And so it's fitting that we come together one Sunday a year and put particular focus on the resurrection, even while we know that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. So listen now to Luke 24. Luke begins his account of the resurrection by saying, but, and I love that he says, but, because it's a way of saying not just uh, the sentence or two that came before that, but this. He's saying all of the cross and the grave and the tomb and the death had occurred But what comes next? But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The two angels that stood at Jesus' tomb there in the way Luke tells that story in Luke 24 are telling these uh, ladies something really important. What they're saying is that the resurrection is something Jesus had talked about, not just the crucifixion, but the resurrection is something he had talked about to help them understand that it is the central event in all of God's telling of history. Everything that he had determined to do from eternity past into eternity future all centers on this moment. Therefore, they're saying to the women who had come to the tomb, don't you remember that Jesus had declared to you that all of this had to take place, not just that he would die, but that he would be risen. Church, we've come together today to think specifically about the power of the resurrection. Now, over the course of the last several weeks, we've been talking about the power of the cross. We've been thinking about its substitutionary work and its work in bearing the wrath of God for us. We've been thinking about how it reconciled us to God the Father when Jesus shed his blood on the cross and how it redeemed us from the power of the devil and from enslavement to him. We've thought about each one of those things. And historically, we think about the resurrection as God's uh, signature, which says, all of those works I accept. The full payment was paid. Christ's work was sufficient. And the resurrection is the evidence. It's God's way of saying, I put my stamp of approval on the work of Jesus to be able to accomplish all of those things, to pay your penalty in his death, to bear my wrath, fully and completely for sin for all those who would be redeemed, to reconcile you to me into right relationship. And not only that, but to redeem you from the power of one who hated you and was cruel to you under whose thumb you were, but I've purchased you and you belong to me. And the resurrection is God's way of saying it is finished in the work of Christ. But more than that, here's what I want you to understand. 
as you come today and as I come to think about the resurrection, we're coming to think about something that demands and calls us out of half-hearted following of Jesus. It calls us out of fear and into confidence. It calls us into hope and joy. The resurrection is more than just God's stamp of approval. It comes with a power all its own, stemming from its ability to seal all the work that was done at the cross. But even further, it bears a power upon our lives. And I want you to understand and walk in that power, because here's the thing, church. If you are a follower of Jesus, your life is supposed to be marked by the power of the resurrection. You are supposed to, everywhere you go, every day, every breath you take, bear not just the marks of Jesus' humility and sacrificial love of the cross, you are to also bear the power of the resurrection in your very body. You are to be filled with it and the confidence that comes from it and the joy that comes from it and the hope that comes from it and the full-hearted following of Jesus that comes from it. So maybe today you came because it's Easter Sunday and that's what we're supposed to do and we're here for tradition, but I pray that you walk out of here convinced that the resurrection is supposed to mark every moment of your life. The resurrection of Jesus is powerful. It dictates the direction of all history and it makes a calling upon your life. It works at the tiny level of an individual human heart and the cosmic scale of all of creation. And it dictates what happens in each of those spheres and in everything in between. That is the miracle of the power of the resurrection. Philippians 3.10, one of my favorite verses, says, I want to know Christ. And if it just stopped there, that would, be, that would be sweet and rich. But then he tells us something, Paul does, about how we know Christ. How is it that we should know Christ? He says, I wanna know Christ. And the very next thing he says is, what do you see there, church? And the power of his resurrection. In other words, what he's saying is, I don't know Christ until I comprehend and bring in the power of his resurrection into my understanding and into my heart. If I'm gonna know him, I gotta know him in the power of his resurrection. And then he says, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So do you see the cross and the resurrection there? Saying, if you wanna know Jesus, if you're a person who is, given to Jesus, a person who is fascinated by Jesus, a person who loves Jesus, a person who wants to know Jesus and spend their life knowing him more, you need to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the humility of his sacrificial love on the cross. You don't know him until you know him in his cross and until you know him in his resurrection. And so I wanna think with you today, specifically, we've been talking about the cross. Now I wanna talk about the resurrection with you and the power of that resurrection. Now, we got another service after this one, so I can't give you 20 things. But we could just go and go and go, all right? But I'm gonna give you three, okay? And they're gonna go big to small. Actually, we're gonna go big to small to big again, all right? So I want you to think with me about the power of the resurrection and its claims upon our lives. So the first claim the resurrection makes, the first demonstration of power is what we find in Romans chapter one, verse four, and it's this, is that the resurrection declares the truth to the world. The resurrection declares the most fundamental truth to the world. Now, there are lots of things that are true, but nothing is truer than what the resurrection declares. And listen to what it is. Romans chapter one, verse four, Paul puts it very simply. He says, Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power 
according to the spirit of holiness. And how was he declared to be the son of God? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul begins his letter to the Romans that way. I mean, that's the fourth verse of the entire book. And the reason he begins there is because he wants them to understand the linchpin that the resurrection is. It's deep importance to their lives. He's saying you are to be a person marked by the resurrection. And the thing I want you to know is the first thing that that resurrection has done it, it, is it shouts to all the world that Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a wise sage. He is the very son of God. And the resurrection is the declaration of it. Romans chapter one, verse four, just burn that in your minds because the thing, church, that I want you to see is that what the resurrection is declaring is not first something to our individual lives. It's declaring something to the entire world. I was walking last night and praying for us this morning, asking God to fill us with love for his son, asking for us uh, that we have help from the spirit to see him clearly from his word. And as I was praying, I was walking by these houses and I just couldn't help but think, Every one of these houses, your resurrection is shouting into the sky. It is shouting into the universe and it is shouting into every one of these homes that Jesus is God in the flesh. The resurrection declares it. Now, we need to understand something there before we move on and it's this, is that Christianity does something that in the world's eyes would be very foolish. It bases every one of its claims on an event that can be either historically verified or historically denied. Think about this. Every other world religion makes all kinds of claims about salvation, about the nature of the world, the nature of God, how someone is reconciled to God or knows him, all kinds of claims. But essentially, all of those claims boil down to whether or not you believe the person who's delivering the message. And the only thing the message, the only thing that, is, that the message is based on is what they tell you. So you either take it or you leave it. But Christianity doesn't just base itself on things Jesus said. It bases itself and hinges upon Jesus historically claiming that he rose from the dead. If he didn't, none of it's true. If he did, all of it is true. That's a big bet to make, yes? Especially when the most powerful army in all the world in Rome had to do nothing more then roll open a tomb, take a body out of a grave and show it to all the people who were claiming that he'd been raised. Why wouldn't they have done that? Because he wasn't there. Because he was not dead, he was alive. It is a historical event. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, if he was not raised, then we're still in our sins. And we should be pitied more than anybody else on the earth because we're fools. Why are we sitting here 2,000 plus years later still proclaiming that he rose from the dead? Because no one through all of history has been able to disprove it because it happened. And we believe it. We don't base it because of somebody saying something. We base it on an actual event that happened. And what God is saying through Paul in Romans is that the resurrection is shouting to everyone, listen to me, he's God. He is risen, no one else has done it. Has any other religious leader been raised from the dead? No. Has any other wise teacher been raised from the dead? No. Jesus has been raised by the Father and he is alive. That's the first thing 
that it teaches us. The resurrection shouts to the whole earth the truth about who Jesus is. The second thing the resurrection does, now let's get down into the small, cellular, individual heart level. Because the resurrection declares to you today something really powerful. And it's that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And the resurrection is the verification of that. So whatever you are facing today, some of you are walking in here in deep turmoil and trouble in your life. And some of you are walking in in moments of peace. Whichever it is or somewhere in between, you are met by the love of God. Nothing can keep you from getting, from that getting to you, from his love coming to you. Now listen, I don't mean nothing can convince you that he doesn't love you. I mean nothing can keep you from the experience of his love in any and every circumstance. His love can be experienced today And in fact, here's the miracle of the resurrection and the cross. The things that in the past would have convinced you he didn't love you now become the very place where you experience his love most. They now become the very center of your experience of his love. Let me tell you what I mean. Romans chapter eight, verse 33 and 35, through 35. It says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. So there's the resurrection. And then what's the conclusion he's gonna draw from all this? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You see, what Paul is saying is, Because Christ was risen from the dead, because he is raised, he is alive, and therefore not even death can keep you from the experience of his love. Not just, I know he loves me, but that his love will show up. His comfort will show up in the very moments of famine or nakedness or danger or sword and all the things that are most difficult that in the past would have convinced us, I'm not sure I'm loved, those things now become the space, the place where because of the resurrection, the love of Christ enters into those moments and ministers to you. And you become more convinced you are loved by him and more full of joy and more full of hope. I'm not suggesting those things are easy. I am suggesting that when you encounter them, Christ is with you because he's alive. Think about what a difference that makes. Nothing in all of this world can keep God's love from you. Now, it may be relatively obvious why that's so important, but just think about the experiences of being loved in your life and how foundational they are for you. The love of a parent. I was thinking about this with Amanda. Amanda's my wife, and one of the things I wake up every day so thankful for is I wake up convinced that she loves me. I don't, I don't wake up and doubt her love, whether we're in a fight or whether we're doing great. I never doubt that she loves me. And there is something so foundational and so crucial to that love, it changes my behavior. It changes the way I live. I walk out the door convinced that she will be faithful to me and I want to be faithful to her. I walk out the door convinced I want to guard my eyes and guard my mind. I walk out the door wanting to work hard to provide for my family. I walk out the door wanting to be someone who grows in selflessness and kindness. Why? Because there is this foundation of love in my home that I'm walking out of and I'm so convinced of it and so certain of it that it changes the way I live. 
I don't do things I shouldn't do and I do the things I should do. And it's all rooted in knowing I'm loved, yes? How much more when it's God's love? The love of a spouse is a wonderful thing. The love of God, far richer, far greater. That's what I want you to see, church. The resurrection today is not just like, it's Easter, let's talk about Jesus rising from the dead. No, listen. The resurrection makes it certain that you are loved today. And you can carry that with you no matter what. No matter where you go. It works at the cosmic level and says Jesus is God to the universe. And it works in your heart and says don't forget that you're loved and I'm here risen from the dead to show it to you so that you'd see it and know it and live in the confidence and the joy of it. It's what, it's what we need to understand and know. We do not live meaningful lives until we live convinced of the love of God. Last thing I wanna point out about the power of the resurrection big to small, and then kind of a mix of big and small, I guess. The last thing that we see that the resurrection does is that it guarantees a certain future in the world and for us. It guarantees a certain future in the world and for us. Now, maybe you've never thought about this, but I, I want you to understand that what Christianity says is because of the resurrection, we know what the future will be. Christianity makes a claim to know everything about the future, not like whether you're gonna eat a ham or turkey sandwich tomorrow or an Easter ham today, which I hope you're eating an Easter ham today. Not that, but it makes a claim to say, we know where all of this is going and how it ends. We know absolutely with certainty what will happen in the end. And the reason we know, why? is Because Jesus rose from the dead. And it says that's, I can guarantee you, this is where the world is going. And I can guarantee you this is the future that you have if you're in Christ. So look at it at both the grand level and then at the individual level. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, which is kind of the, the pivotal New Testament text on the resurrection, it says this. Talking about the resurrection of Christ, it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then look what he, the conclusion he draws from that in verse 24 is this. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. Do you get that what Paul has just said is a prediction of the future? Yes? He's saying this is what's gonna happen. I'm telling you now, Jesus rose from the dead. As a result, there's gonna come a day where Jesus is going to return and he's gonna take the kingdom, which is to say all the authority in the earth, and all the rule and reign of the earth. And he's going to submit every earthly power underneath and to the Father and deliver that to him. Why can he do that? Because he rose from the dead. That's a really big claim. All of world history is dictated by the resurrection of Jesus. We believe, if you're in Christ, that this day will come and our certainty of it is the resurrection of Jesus that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he will take the kingdom and all the kingdoms of the earth underneath that and deliver it to God and say, now the rule and the reign forever 
and ever of all people for all time is yours. That's what Jesus is able to do because he rose from the dead. But there's one other little hint there that's not just at the grand global level, but at the very individual level. Did you hear what I said when I read, Christ was raised from the dead and he was the first fruits of all those who would be raised? This is mirroring what he says in John chapter 11. If you remember, his friend Lazarus has died. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, are distraught. So Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus asks the question. He says, do you believe that your brother will rise again? Martha says, I believe he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And do you remember what Jesus' response is? I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, the resurrection is here, standing in front of you, embodied in a person. It's not just a someday event, it's now. And it's here because I'm here. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What did he just say? Bring those two texts together now, church. What he just said is his resurrection guarantees that all who believe in him will also be resurrected, will also be raised. Not only is it the guarantee that the world is headed in a certain direction, it's a guarantee that you, if you are in him, will head in this direction. This is what's true of you, both at the global scale, at the individual scale, the resurrection of Jesus reminds us of something. And here's what that, here's what that boils down to. First Peter chapter one, verse three, talking about the resurrection. For you now, church family, listen to me, for you, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, it was his mercy that did this. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? How is it possible that you today can be full of hope that can't be killed? That's what a living hope is, yes? A hope that cannot be taken away, can't be stripped from you, can't be stilted, can't be taken, ripped away, put to death cause you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you see how pivotal the resurrection is to your daily life? He is saying, church family, this is not a nice thing to think about on Easter Sunday. The resurrection is to be central to your life. You are to be full of hope. You're to be full of joy. You are to endure trial and to persevere. How do you do all that? Because you are filled with the power of the resurrection. Romans chapter eight says, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you with that same resurrection power coming to bear every moment of every day throughout your life. It is a certainty, it is a certainty that in the same way the resurrection guarantees the direction of the world, it guarantees that you will one day be raised if you are in him. And I wanna just, let's just really make that as crucially pivotal as we can. Some of you lost someone this year. You may have lost a, a parent, a spouse. I know every Sunday when I look at it, there are people, some of you are losing someone precious to you. Everyone you've lost who is in Christ, you will see again. They will be raised just as you will be raised. 
that's how your life is full of hope. How do you meet death with hope? It only happens if you believe in the resurrection. It only happens if you know that death has not had the final word. The resurrection has the final word. And that's what Jesus claims in his death and in his resurrection, not just sealing the work of God in substitution and in reconciliation, but declaring power for believers today and tomorrow and the next day until he returns and brings the resurrection and all its finality to bear upon our lives. Now, let me say one last thing and then we're gonna sing again. I wanna remind you, because Easter Sunday's a, a tricky one for pastors. And the reason is, I mean, gosh, I'll talk about the resurrection all day. I used to, when I was like 13, I thought it was kind of corny or hokey when the church would say, he is risen and everyone would respond, he's risen indeed. Now I'll say that 50 times today, if, if people will let me. I couldn't care less. I just wanna talk about the resurrection of Jesus because he's not dead, he's alive. And it, it just, I wake up with joy flooding my heart and it's the first words out of my mouth. I want to be, he's risen, he's alive, he's not dead. My savior, my king, the one I love more than life itself, he's alive. But I want you to not just come for a nice little Easter tradition and go, yay, we talked about that he rose from the dead. I want you to take hold of that power. So let me just share with you just very quickly, how do you do that? How do you take hold of that power? The first is you have to believe, friends, if you are not in Christ, the power of the resurrection does not fill you. The power of the resurrection is not yours. The power of death still reigns over your life, but the power of the resurrection is available to you and you don't have to do anything for it other than believe. Hear and believe. Christ the Lord is risen and it makes a claim on your life. I'm urging you to respond with belief. See it for what it is. Open your eyes and see. Stop fighting against it. Stop resisting it. Stop thinking other treasures in life are more valuable than that. Nothing is more valuable than a resurrected Savior. All of future depends on it. Not only that, Romans 10 tells us if we believe in our, if we, believe, if we uh, believe in our heart that, no, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And I wanna hit the other part of that, confession, which is to say this, talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Talk about it to yourself in the mirror. Talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your friends. Confess, declare it out loud. Say there's something powerful in confession. There's something powerful in saying out loud what Jesus has done and who he is. Much more than just holding it in your mind and considering it in your heart. Do that too, yes, but speak it out loud. Have you noticed the power you feel moving through you when you confess the truth out loud? When we sing the truth out loud together, do you feel power in that? There's power in confessing what is true and speaking it out loud. Serve others. You wanna be full of the power of the resurrection? God will fill you with that power as you live your life to serve others. As you use the things he's given you to serve others, be full of the power of the resurrection through service. And the last is be a friend. Relationships are hard and they take power from on high to do them well. And so if you wanna be full of the power of the resurrection, you will experience the power of that resurrection as you commit your life to serve others and care for them and love them as a friend, sacrificially and faithfully over the long haul. As you do that, watch the power of the resurrection take hold of you 
and your ability to take hold of it increase. Let's pray together now and sing again in joy to the risen Savior. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your finished, completed work at the cross, and we thank you that it was made final through the resurrection. Father, thank you that Galatians 1 tells us that you raised the Son in your power because you approved of his work. You declared it sufficient. And so today, I pray that you would cause the power of that resurrection to fill us, move through us, so that we'd be full of joy and hope and love, all the things that it comes to bring. Would you receive our praises now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, church, and sing.